chair, a table, a lamp. Above a white ceiling, a relief ornament in the shape of a wreath. And in the center, a blank space plastered over, like the place in a face where an eye has been taken out. Hello and welcome to the Of Cast a Handmaid's Tale Reader. I'm your host, Elsie Eigerman. And I'm your host, Max Mariner. So, Max, did you read the chapter? I sure did. So do you want to summarize it for the folks at home? In this epic chapter, Offred walks down a hallway. And some stairs. Don't forget the stairs. Yeah, yeah. I Yes, the uh, and also remembers things. I feel like you could say that of, like, every chapter. Offred remembers things. Yeah, I do have to wonder. I'm... Perhaps it, it kind of flew over my head at first, the fact that this is a... Uh, this, is a this is a flashback. It's To me, it was like... If I may open about like being vulnerable about, about uh, as a reader, I was a bit surprised at the fact that uh, at first I did not know that we were jumping backwards. Like it was, it like because yeah. you know, and unlike other flashbacks, it's to another time inside the house. It's not to um, her her life before uh, everything changed. Yeah, although they do bring that up a lot in this uh, book, oh, uh, yeah. in a chapter. Yeah, well, we don't. I I think we get a single flashback in this chapter to her life before we get references to what life was like before but yeah illusions yeah oh well she does mention luke mm-hmm. and uh like just this i'm starting to pick up you know as i'm in the second chapter of the book i'm starting to pick up on a few things elsie such oh, as yes the fact that they keep uh that offred keeps mentioning what was before in fact there are between this and the first chapter there are tons of little references to like where we are is where you is a normal place in your world oh yeah but to me it's a completely different atmosphere completely different context yeah no i i I love the description we get of her room oh sort of additional summary bits here uh uh, listeners is the where she's in the the house of her placement she's a handmaid and um she's going out to go shopping so she she walks down a a hallway and down the stairs and has to talk to the marthas who are basically housekeepers um in this household yeah no the description we get of of the room this could be a college guest room yes yeah the the college the college guest room that like we we all we've all been in a spare bedroom before. We all know what that's like and the sort of weird kind of random stuff that's in the room. Like for example, she describes a painting of a flower and this like hand braided uh rug. And you could like very vividly see what it's like a, a pretty barren room. Yeah, which does call back to the kind of situation that she is currently in. How like it's kind of amazing how Atwood can get so much description out of very barren environments. Oh, yeah. She describes it's a room of a rooming house of former times for ladies in reduced circumstances. That is what we are now. The circumstances have been reduced. That she just goes from, like, this room is very barren to I am a prisoner here. Hmm. Um, Sensing a theme. Yeah. And the fact that, like, she describes it in this sort of, like, distant and kind of flippant way. Yeah, it's... I think it especially made clear to me when, uh, in the ne- like after the break, when it goes, the bell that measures time is ringing. Time here yeah. is measured by bells as once in nunneries. That like, that was like, 
that hit me really hard because I'm a person who thinks a lot about time, like just in mm-hmm. all contexts, like it's the pretext for everything I think about. So to imagine a world wherein time is not measured by minutes, hours, days, anything, it's just bells. Oh, I have I have a funny story about that line. Hmm. Um, so one of the things that happens to you when you read The Handma- Handmaid's Tale, and you're obs- as obsessed with it as I am, is that you start noticing things in your day-to-day life that remind you of The Handmaid's Tale. Huh. When I went away for, for college, the the residence hall, as they like to refer to them at, at my school, uh, was right across from the uh, the, the church and um, sort of the, the clock tower on campus. And so every 15 minutes, the bells would ring. Uh, but it was always like slightly off, which was a little annoying. But when I heard the bells ring for the first time, that line like played in my head. Hmm. Yeah, it's just like it's just so simplistic and like Yeah, and the idea of like it's, you know, a college guest room with the the idea of being like in this foreign environment and there are these bells ringing. That's how time is being measured. I'm like, it's like The Handmaid's Tale, which is exactly the <laughs> series of thoughts you want to have when you're moving to college. Yeah. <laughs> I would like that like where else would it, would your mind go if not The Handmaid's Tale? Yeah. How many mirrors were in that dorm? I uh <laughs> oh, there are a lot of mirrors. It's a women's college, so... Ah, I see, I see, yeah. That's another <laughs> thing that, like, stuck out to me. Like, I mean, I'm not exactly a person who looks in the mirror a lot. However, the idea that there are there is limited space to see what you look like... Oh, is yeah. just, like... Ugh. Just I mean, this, this chapter is all about being seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how she describes the, the white wings of, um, the white wings too are prescribed. They are to keep us from seeing, but also from being seen. That, like, she isn't supposed to be seen by strangers. She can't look in the mirror. The Marthas really don't see her as a person. That, like, really, she's, she's very lonely and her sight is, like, cut off in this way. Yeah. Um, and even, like, I think the way she describes briefly seeing herself in a mirror uh, is she describes it as a as a sister dripped in blood. Yeah. That, like, it isn't her. It's this other person. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it even goes on uh, the door of the room. Not my room. I refuse to say my. Like, it's, yeah. it's also about, like, what belongs to Offred as a, like, just hu- uh, per- as just as, as a person, as a yeah. human. Yeah. And, like, I think she says a similar thing about the the Marthas and their kitchen, um, that it is as, as much uh, her table as, as it is my room. Mm-hmm. Nothing belongs to any of these people. Yeah. It's just, like... Yeah, we would sit at Rita's kitchen table, which is not Rita's any more than my table is mine. Yeah, which sharply contrasts with the environment that we're in. Like, this is like a yeah. house. Like, this is like the you know, a house for a rich family. And it's just like, none of this is anybody's. It's just here. Well, I mean, it belongs to somebody, but none of, but they aren't here. Um, exactly. Yeah. There is one thing that, like, I could not stop thinking about as I was, like, after I read the chapter. It's a transition that is, mm-hmm. like, that so, like, defied my expectations. So, I while I was starting to read the chapter and, like, you know, thinking about this dystopic environment, I kept thinking about, like, well, there's escaping in a few ways. 
And I wondered, yeah. how would they get out? And also, are there other ways to get out? And this chapter just oh, decided yeah. <laughs> to make it very clear that they don't really care about escaping. They just care about um, finding ways to... Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think she describes it here, but there's, like, floodlights on the street and that you really can't escape on foot. Yeah, it's, um, it's so not they, about the great escape, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, like, they're like, well, we have that. that's not the escape they have to prevent. Um, I mean, she describes it as, like, it isn't running away they're afraid of. We wouldn't get far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 those other escapes, the one you ones you can open in yourself given a cutting edge. Yeah, and then what really hit me was the most relatable way to go from the most dark subject ever to just like to what like to a basic description. It's those other escapes, the ones you can open in yourself given yeah. a cutting edge. So, <laughs> apart from these details, like yeah, that's something I would say if I was like talking to my friend, like yeah, I'm just you know I, I lost a family member. So that's happening. Like, just like where there's just yeah. the ending of the thought is right there. And it's just like, you can't, how do you go from that to something else? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's sort of like this, this thing out of necessity, um, mm -hmm. that this is just reality and there, there really, there isn't an escape. Yeah. Um, and was sort of earlier on where she says, there's a lot that doesn't bear thinking about. Thinking can hurt your chances, and I intend to last. Yeah, that's right. Um, that, like, part of it is that, like, you just, you need to not focus on that, or else you're going to go crazy. Mm -hmm. like so you it... have to be like, well, yeah, this is designed this way, so I can't kill myself, but whatever, man. Yeah, I get the sense that, like, intending to last means they will, like, if you can, like, it, people are resilient humans are resilient yeah. they would find a way if they had to but they intend to last so yeah and i mean we we find out later in the chapter that at least hypothetically offered had a choice between um between this and going to the colonies and it's also made very clear that the colonies is not a fun place to be yeah doesn't look like um doesn't doesn't really feel like a great like sophie's choice moment you know just like uh, which one is the least horrible? Yeah. I do hope we get more information about what the colonies are like and why Alfred would choose this over that. I mean, Cora describes it as, like, you would starve to death there. Hmm. I guess, I guess I was, uh, it's weird to think about just, like, even the word itself, like, colonies, like. Yeah. It's, it's very, like, um, were you forced to read The Giver when you were in elementary school? Sure was. <laughs> Um, it feels very similar to me being, like, released to elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the colonies doesn't sound that bad in theory, but it is said in an ominous enough way that you're just like, yeah, I actually think being a handmaid is probably better than being sent to the colonies. Yeah, in fact, I think it kind of, it kind of, um, activates that sort of primal urge of, like, when, you know, humans, you're in, the, like, way back. Yeah. Thousands of years ago, you're in the tribe... And if you get expelled, you're just going to go out into the unknown. There's you don't know what's going to happen to you. It's just over. Yeah. And I mean, this is a, this is evoc uh, this is evoked in everything from the Handmaid's Tale to even like the Maze Runner, like just that kind of like, you know, we're all stuck here in this dystopia, and out there is completely unknown and likely death. So yeah. what are you going to do? She she 
is not in denial about this being her re- reality and that there's about a, a lack of escape open to her. I mean, that's the sort of I intend to last just means that like, I'm just going to like not go crazy. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. I also appreciate using uh, like, I also appreciate the inclusion of words like on women, which are like yes. just really awesome ways to communicate an entire world that is like beyond what we know about so far. Yeah, I mean, we've we've met now most of the categories of women. Um, you have aunts, wives, Martha's, handmaids, and unwomen. Yeah, and I can only imagine what the <laughs> unwomen are, uh, why they're called that. Oof. Yeah. Which makes me, uh, which reminds me of when, let's see, where was it? Um, her sleeves are rolled to the elbow, showing her brown arms. And yep. I wonder, so I'm going to go ahead and ask, how do you think race works in Gilead? Because I'm sure it's great. <laughs> well, we hear more about it later, but I will say that I am pretty sure Rita and Cora are the only people of color we see in, like, the entire novel. Mm. Um, I mean, as far as, like, named characters. Huh. Because I do think, I think we see some some foreigners here and there later on, but she. These are, these are the only named characters who are, who are people of color. And, like, you can see that, like, Atwood gave them, like, kind of an accent. Yeah. Like, Cora says, nobody asking you? Anyways, mm-hmm. what could you do, supposing? Is, like, they're, they're clearly being, like, heavily coded as being black. Yeah, like, anyways was the, was just, like, because it's, it's very, like, it's just a, uh, a very, like, kind of, throwaway term like just some, like yeah. a filler word i mean i when i first read the book i didn't realize that the characters were supposed to be black but now i'm like oh yeah no these these characters are black um it's weird because most of the adaptations decide to not do that thankfully the 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 hulu series decided to do that but they've also changed the way that race works in gilead um huh. I, I think it's it's definitely intentional that these characters are, like, domestic help as opposed to being aunts or wives or any of the other classes of women. Mm-hmm. The help, yeah. Yeah. I wonder how completely intentional it was, that whether or not it was, like, a, a purposeful choice on the part of Atwood to make these characters black, or if the idea of domestic help, to a certain extent, was like, oh, okay, well, but the characters would probably be of color. Yeah, like, considering this was written in the 80s, I do wonder if the black women, or women of color as, as, um, as maids was, like, shorthand? Yeah. Which is... I, I don't know. And, I mean, yeah. Atwood has definitely written things where there are white women as maids. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It, I just like I wonder if in this scenario because yeah. it's the beginning of the book and they want to introduce like more of the environment and the world. This in nineteen in the nineteen eighties might have been easier to describe to the audience that had likely known about people, uh, women of color as maids to rich white people. You know. <laughs> yeah. Shorthand imagery can be so like finicky in how it can reinforce stereotypes it can explain high concepts easier uh easier it's a very fine line to walk uh, yeah no and i i I flipped forward and checked when we find out what happened to um black people in gilead uh it isn't for another like 12 chapters hmm 
See you later, Rita. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we see these characters throughout, but, like, they're written in such a way it's, like, very divorced from the, like, greater racial issues. Yeah. Um, Which I think is a good way, um, in talking about, like, Rita and this representation, gives us uh, a good cue to, into the um, offer that's eavesdropping. Yes. Yeah. I I just I, I just love um, how she describes when she enters like their faces were the way women's faces are when they've been talking about you behind your back and they think you're being, you think you're heard you know they're embarrassed but also a little defiant like as if it was their right it's just like super it just even though it probably reads more seriously to, like everybody else to me it sounds super like laid back and like yeah just easily like converse description and it's like totally the like same kind of like unfamiliar familiarity that we've seen throughout the first two chapters um where it's like we're all familiar with the sensation of like walking on people who were talking about us mm-hmm. except like all the things we hear about like the things that they gossip about are either like offered being like um you know she's debasing herself or um that it's stuff like worked like a charm though you thought you'd think he would must have tasted it must have been that drunk, but they found her all right. Yeah, I was wondering um, <laughs> what the implicit meaning behind that is, because I, I think it's a, a, a wife killed her husband. Oh my god! I mean, look, toilet cleaners are extremely efficient tools. Yeah, right now. I highly recommend them for uh, well, it's, all. It's, it's how how they they do it in Heather's. Oh my god! Really? Yeah. Well, wow. I think it's window cleaner in Heather's in the in. The, the first murder. Um, sorry to spoil Heather's, guys. Uh, but yeah, it's like, stabbed her with a knitting needle right in the belly. Jealousy it must have been, eating her up. Yeah, like, they're th- th- what they're gossiping about is, like, death and murder in Gilead. Yeah, which I'm gonna assume is kind of a norm in this dystopian nightmare. We don't know. Hmm. And uh, it, it's especially interesting to me how Offred, like, passively notes that she used to hate this kind of talk just oh, just yeah. like that had nothing to do with it but now it's like at least it's something at least it's a oh, pulse yeah. and i feel that so hard i like, mean it's also like before the gossip it's like just wanting someone to like listen to her and someone to talk to mm-hmm. um the the i know what you mean or i hear where you're coming from God, it's like um, I also feel like that's Atwood's way of like saying like this is what everybody says. It's just like a chorus line of saying the exact same things, the exact same conversations, and that's just how people function. Like, yeah, but like I think that I mean from other things I've read about women's communication styles, like this is such a big part of like female friendships is like getting together and reciting miseries. I I'm I'm and, unfamiliar with this. Yeah. There was some book that my grandmother has that was like, I think the title was like, I hear your pain. I, yeah. So it's like a, a big part of like this female friendship that she's longing for is just like, she wants people to hang out with. Because uh, like, and that's, and that's especially interesting because earlier on we are told that like, you know, just stop thinking about the situation we're in because you're going to lose your mind it's you know just yeah. just keep it out of your head but now it's also like i need a pulse i need like some kind of way to be interacting with other people i need to use my brain without going crazy. like we are always on the teetering edge of just 
full on like I wouldn't say insanity, but yeah, like and, of total shutdown. And I mean, her whole rationing of thought sort of appears here as well because she talks about the word fraternize and how Luke told her about that, but she doesn't tell us who Luke is or anything else about it other than he liked to know such details and i used to tease him about being pedantic we all know a luke yeah that like she's allowing herself to have this small flashback Mm -hmm. and i i can only uh wonder if that's that would uh, that would have to take place in the uh, before time yes the long long ago yeah no, of course, and then this this does bring us to, like, to the end, like, the final, um, the final sentence, which is, why tempt her to friendship? Like, what, I, I get the sense, like, what, what did you think about that line? Um, well, I mean, I feel like, to a certain degree, it's sort of going to, um, I think it's Rita, in this case, Rita's level of just being like, well, Rita doesn't like me, why bother trying to engage in this fantasy of her being my friend? Yeah. Which, again, bounces back and forth between, like, the different ways in which, you know, you, we, you know, we yearn for some, you know, they, she yearns for some communication, but also, why bother? Yeah. Just, you know, which is, like, I think a really subtle way of communicating just what the situation is like. Like, we don't, like, there, I'm sure you know of the all is lost moment, right? No? What are you talking about? It's just, it's kind of a common, like modern film language thing where it's like at the moment of the story Ah. where everything is about to go wrong it's the all is lost moment and i feel like we're like gilead (laughs) is just that as a society just the all is lost that constantly to the point where it's casual and it's the new normal yeah and it's not death it's not bloody it's not like gross it's just numbing yeah, it's eroding. it's the your room clearly has used to have a light fixture, but it's been removed because they were worried you were going to kill yourself with it. Yeah, like it's just the perfect analogy, and I I appreciate that. Like that's just it's a you know there there are plenty of ways to communicate like things are bad, but like going there into a place that I think most of the readers would probably understand instead of just like people were getting shot and, and, and dying at left and right from huge disease or war. It's just like the mind. You just, you know, they leave you to your thoughts and they make you do things that like, you know, they just put you in yeah basically slavery. It's yeah. yeah. Well, it's just like, I'm not a prisoner. Think mm. of it like being in the army. Yeah. Well, I really like the way that she conveys the loneliness of um, Alfred's existence uh, mm-hmm. that like, she doesn't just say, like, oh, I feel so lonely. Instead, she describes sort of reaching out for this friendship that she knows that just isn't there. And I feel like that's just such a familiar emotion that in reading this, you feel it. Yeah. In a way that mm-hmm. is much more, like, powerful than just, like, spelling it out. Yeah. It's like, you know, show, some, don't tell. Some quality show, don't tell. Yeah. There is so much going on in how this world is being presented. Mm-hmm. And... I get the sense, like, again, as, you know, as the novice in this discussion, I can only wonder how much can, like, how much of this conversation about the, of this text can be about, like, how is it is, how the world is set up, how the stage is set, so to speak. Yeah. There's, like, there are a lot of um, interesting use of colors, red and blue especially, like the fan light of colored glass, the, sev- the several umbrellas. Yeah. And, and what the, did you think? I, the I was Marthas not sure. are, are wearing the same dresses, but in green. Yeah. 
What, what did you think about that? Because I, I actually do struggle with, like, color symbolism and storytelling, personally. Um, well, I mean, there's some obvious color symbolism. So, like, Offred is the, 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 the sex object, mm-hmm. um, as sort of set up, like, by both, by um, Rita viewing Offred as sort of, like, debasing herself. Um, and so, like, Red is traditionally associated with desire, um, even though, as we sort of find out later on, it's not really that, like, Offred is sexual. Um, and, like, the wives wear blue, which is a color typically associated with the Virgin Mary. Um, hmm. uh, and I, I don't completely understand the, the color symbolism of the green. Um, yeah, I, like, let's see, yeah, red's passionate, and, like, green is, is it poison? Is it, like... Well, it's described as a dull green. I think it's, it's, it's them blending into their surroundings. Oh, yeah, because it's, like, yeah, this, and that makes sense, because it's, like, they are part of, they are part of the machine. Yeah. They are facilitating all this. Um, which reminds me, just a quick side note... When she says, I leave the red umbrella where it is because I know from the window that the day is sunny. Like, in any other context, I'd be like, well, I mean, yeah, duh. I mean, what do you yeah. do? of course. But, like, in this case, it's like, wow, that, I guess it just takes, like. Well, I mean, it's it's a small amount of choice that she's allowed to have. Yeah. It it's just, it communicates whether, such yeah. little, like, such little communication that, like, she just, like, the sim- the simplest notions that we could make. No matter what, like in, a, in the blink of, a, uh, of an eye, it's just like these are how my thoughts work. They yeah. are so simple because she has otherwise, so, so few things she's allowed to think about. Yeah, I take one step further, I will fall down a hole. Yeah, of like existential horror at my situation. Exactly. So yeah, I'm, I'm having a great old time in this happy-go-lucky jolly book. I don't know about yeah. you, Lizzie. It's the best. I love how normal it feels, but not normal at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what was your favorite line this chapter? My favorite line? Um, I mean, honestly, on its own, probably the so transition, because it's yeah. just like, I, it just like, that is, you know, it was super hashtag relatable. Um, but also, yeah, uh, the one about, um, how, you know, how the part about uh, despising such talk, because like, you know, at least it was talk. Um, what, about, what about yours? What was your favorite? I love the, it's like, it's it's actually three sentences, but I think it really counts as like a single line. It's, waste not, want not. I am not being wasted. Why do I want? I just think it it just moves so, like, slickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, it's sort of the, these women as assets. Yeah, um, like, I am being viewed as an object. I will gleefully, part- I will, not gleefully, I will willingly participate and yet I still want. Yeah. Know? And that's that's rough. It's kind of, um, it. there's another line that kind of reminds me of it. It's, where I am is not a prison, but a privilege. Yeah. As Aunt Lydia said, who was in love with either or. I think this, this chapter is the first time we see Aunt Lydia talking in her head. This is not the only line, because there's like this bit, and then there's an earlier bit where it's like, think of it as being in the army, said Aunt Lydia. Pretty sure people in the army get paid, though, right? Yeah, one should hope. <laughs> yeah, that, like, you have Aunt Lydia, who we find out later on is sort of the, the ringleader at the the Red Center that we see in the first chapter. Um, 
sort of talking in the back of her head. Um, I think this is some evidence that despite the fact that she's clearly not like fully into what she's doing, the re-education system like did work that you see throughout the book Aunt Lydia talking to her in her head. Yeah, and that's, that is like, a, just a, because I understand that, like having somebody that you look up to, somebody that's taught you a lot, like, yeah. helping you through obstacles, but in this case it's somebody who like, all, kind of brainwashed? Yeah, she's one of your jailers. She had yeah. the, the, the cattle prod. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also telling the prisoner that they are in like a privileged situation is like textbook abusive behavior. Yes. Right? <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. And uh, we get more information about like the kind of war that we're in. Like the frown isn't personal; it's the red dress she disapprove of, she disapproves of, and what it stands for. Yeah. I mean, we we know that you know obviously the politics of Gilead are going to make it play a huge role in the story. Like, I, I don't even need to read through most of yeah. it to know that. And yet, like, because she stops right there, and you're just kind of left on that thought of, like, well, what does it stand for? It's like, you know, it's like the truth will be revealed slowly instead of just kind of, like, plopped in your lap. Yeah, and she sort of... I, I think this is another... Um, right, this is probably the first example of this. Never mind. Um, this is a, a great example of how in Gilead, it really isn't so much that, like, the evil men are oppressing the women. The women happily oppress the other women. Mm. So, like, you have, on on one hand, the aunts, who are literally participating in this reindoctrination of women. And on the other hand, you have the Marthas, who are, like, not necessarily more privileged, if anything, slightly less privileged than the handmaids, um, who like think that the handmaids are sluts and whores basically that that the the handmaids are debasing themselves and why would you like be nice to them yeah it's this weird social hierarchy construct that like is just constantly cynical and disempowering to everyone in it and yet yeah. they've somehow convinced themselves this is this is fine they're more more than willing to participate in the oppression of other women um, and do you think that's, like, a big, like, point that Atwood is getting at about... Oh, yeah. Because like, it, it, it sort of keeps coming up throughout all the female characters we meet, um, pretty much. Yeah, I feel like that that theme in of itself is, like, a, is very much, like, strict commentary on... Even today, it's, like... It, it's it's a statement, and uh, I... Yeah, no, I'm there's this... Of, there's this terrible piece from Glenn Beck in which he, he states that The Handmaid's Tale is about how evil men are oppressing women. I was like, no, it's not. You haven't read it. Yeah. How I mean, dare you insult my baby like this? <laughs> yeah, because it's so, like, we haven't, I mean, the only guy that's come up so far is Luke. Yeah. The person that Offred knows. <laughs> and, like, other than that, all the oppression, all the, like... All the stuff that makes The Handmaid's Tale what it is, is perpetuated by women. Oh, yeah. Is, and that, I think, yeah, is perhaps one of the... I'm going to guess one of the underlying points. Um, not to say... Okay, <laughs> to to make this clear, not to say that women are the real reason why women are oppressed, but, yeah. like, that it's more complicated than... Than just the, men you know. oppressing women. 
Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Make that clear. So, Max, any concluding thoughts? Uh, my two thoughts are of this. I like how this book describes things. Like, so far, I like how it's... Um, and also, it is really uh, dense and might have outsmarted me already. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to be uh, more careful. Just, and just as be I glad that we're not reading Toni Morrison. Oh, my God. When I was in high school... Beloved was the bane of every honor student's existence. Like, it was like a meme. Like, just any, like, any time somebody was going to complain about a book, they're like, oh, you haven't read Beloved. It's, <laughs> I guess it's, I guess it's a pretty hard book to get through, I imagine. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's more confusing written yeah. than this and like Toni Morrison has this whole thing about how she wants the reader to be a co-conspirator. Hmm. And I can like kind of get into that. And I, I feel like The Handmaid's Tale to a certain degree is about like trying to get yourself in line with Offred's thought process because this is just like running through her thought process with her. Yeah, it, it does feel like a stream of consciousness. Oh yeah. Which might make it a little bit hard for me to keep up with her sometimes. Yeah. As the uh, plebeian novice that I am, <laughs> um, I, I, I do appreciate that this book is like being very careful about what it tells us because oh, yeah. in essence, like p putting aside like it's better writing, the fact that it's keeping us into this mystery of like s of cynicism is somehow so compelling in a way that I would have not expected. Uh, before reading the book. Yeah. Do you, what, what, what are your final thoughts? I just, I, I'm just really into this, like, theme of, like, seeing other people and being seen. And I think that's beautiful. And I think that, like, that's something that we all need, is this idea of, like, trying to see the other people around us better. Sorry that that was so mushy and <laughs> woo. I yeah. don't have concrete thoughts about it. Well, what's funny is, like, I imagine, like, I'm in high school, like, senior year, and my, my teacher opens with, like, you know, so uh, what does it feel like to be seen? You know, like, be seen. But, like, what about, what about actually, like, and he just uses that as, like, a weird <laughs> contemporary bridge to, like, this chapter? <laughs> because it's a good point. It absolutely is to be witnessed, to yeah. be, like, acknowledged, even in terms of, like, a, like, dead camaraderie that doesn't even, like, actually exist. And, like, I feel like so much of, like, life today is about obscuring and sort of, like, regimenting things. So, like, the way acquiring food works, hmm. like, at restaurants and whatnot and how impersonal it is oftentimes. Yeah. Um, I remember back when I, like, worked retail, I had a guy talk to me like I was an Amazon Alexa once. Th that is a yes because sometimes people just forget like they strip the humanity away from the retail workers yeah. and the restaurant workers and everything and like one of my one of my new year's resolutions this year is to like say thank you more to waitresses mhm mm um, yeah they uh they got to put up with a lot of oh yeah awful people <laughs> And it also, at the same time, one of my other weird interactions when working retail was one guy who was, like, very insistent about using my name. And I was like, this is weird. Please stop. Hmm. Yeah, the, the, the gap between the personal and the impersonal. Yeah. It's, like, constantly evoked. And when it's kind of shattered, like it has here, where, you know, where they, she doesn't even have a real name anymore, it's like, how does this, like, it's just, you know, it's so much more dire. Than yeah. if it was just like the world was in a bad place 
and everybody's slaves, and we were sad. I think that's a good sentence to end on. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> really, at the end of the day, that's most books. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Chapter 2 of The Handmaid's Tale. Our intro music is by Daniel Shariat. And our logo design is by Sydney Elliott. You can find me online at the Muse Sappho on Twitter and Instagram and Sappho of Lesbos on YouTube. You can find me at Mr. M.R. Max Mariner. Uh, that's with two R's in Mariner um, on Twitter and Max Mariner on YouTube. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.